Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here, at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lighting, and her, light, and her name mothers of exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome, her mild eyes command the air bridge harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest host to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That was The New Colossus by Emmer Lazarus. Build that wall, build that wall, build that wall. We're gonna build the wall, we have no choice. We have no choice. I love the Mexican people. I love the spirit of the Mexican people. I love them. But we have some bad hombres here and we're gonna get them out. Chicken McNuggets, shut the f up. Now, shut the f up. Right, right. Learn to buck up. Right, shut the f up. Hey, ho. Now, now. Learn to buck up. Greetings, grandstanders. Welcome to a. What should we call this? Uh. uh post-apocalyptic edition of Grandstand Podcast. It's been a week of upsets, two major ones. Uh, maybe some, most of you Grandstanders uh, know what I'm talking about. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about two specific upsets. And of course, no one understands upsets better than Grandstanders, people who follow the spectating spectacle. Uh, these 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 two historic defeats uh, we're going to be discussing today, uh, and and what kind of what uh, what binds them, um, and and you know, being a grandstander is 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 uh, is, is can be a gut wrenching experience, and so so we know we can relate to what's happening, um, but before I continue, let me introduce uh, my partner in crime, the professor. How are you today, professor? I'm doing well, feeling good. What is uh, what is the vibe there after this uh, defeat uh, last night in Ohio? Um, after the defeat in Ohio, well, I think I, I don't think anyone cares here. <laughs> and now, and now, tell which, me which which <laughs> what, it, de- the, it depends which defeat in Ohio you're talking about. I know that was that was that was it. That was that was that was supposed to like throw you off, uh, yeah. and it did, it yeah, did, it, it did. did, it did, because uh, this is what I'm talking about. These. These two seemingly unrelated events are are very related, um, but no, I'm I'm uh, well. I was talking about the Columbus, Ohio uh, debacle last night. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But what about the what was what's the vibe like since uh, Tuesday in this uh, blue colored not not blue collared but blue colored uh, neighborhood that you're a part of there? 
What's the vibe like? What's it feel like? Um, I've, a few days removed, it almost seems like if it feels everything's back to normal. Uh, I could definitely say the day after. Um, it it was it felt it felt very strange. Felt very weird. Um, and maybe it, but at the same time, maybe it was just me. You know, maybe I just felt really weird about what had just happened, because I did notice the morning after. Many people were just were were going on about their day as if nothing had just happened the night before or a few hours ago. You know, um, people were you know I had people laughing and 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 talking about anything other. Like in my mind, I'm thinking, how can anyone be talking about anything else right now, <laughs> right? And maybe that's, that's just me. And but uh, with that said, and then there were also there were those folks who. Um, who were just absolutely devastated. I mean, I I, was, I saw people crying. Um, I in my cl- I had probably one of the most heavy classes I've ever had. As far as like, I couldn't even I didn't even lecture what was intended for that day, and it had to spend the whole time talking about the election because students were were terrified and were literally in tears. That was that was kind of my feeling too with everyone I ran into. And of course, you and I live in, in very blue states, and we live in, in in environments that are very blue. Would you say that all five boroughs, more or less, are blue? Or is there like one borough that would be distinctively red, like in its, in its political leanings? They're all blue, would you say? I think if there's any uh, borough that might lean red, possibly, it would maybe be Staten Island. Okay. Yeah, um, it felt like when it felt like when my team loses, yet there was there was also a feeling of, of like mourning of death. It was it was um, God, I don't know how to describe it. Um, not not me personally, just the the feeling of walking around, seeing people at work, uh, meet seeing my friends, just just this general feeling of of doom, like um, like when your grandma dies or something. Um, yes. Yeah. You yes. know what I'm saying. Well, we're gonna obviously be talking about what uh, occurred uh, November eighth, and we're also gonna be talking about uh, this game that occurred last night uh, between the United States men's national team and the uh, Tricolor, the Mexican uh, national team. Talking, of course, of the soccer game in Columbus, Ohio. Um, but before we talk about everything that kind of uh, relates these two seemingly unrelated uh, events uh, together. Uh, our guest today, well, he's not really a guest anymore. I think, I think he's officially now part of our team. Uh, no longer just a mere usher. Uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. No longer just an usher. Uh, let's say a correspondent. N- 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 let's let's call him our resident uh, political expert, <laughs> nice. if you will, uh, a man who knows a thing or two about the the political spectacle. Um, a man who 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 has has his finger on the political pulse more than anybody that I've talked to in the last let's just say 15 years since I've known him he's he's been incredibly prescient in his political predictions you know Nate Silver and all his fucking numbers can kiss his mexican ass uh and so can the rest of you fucking stack geeks uh who didn't see this one coming uh he he's also happens to be my compadre my brother one time text welcome back Thank you, sir. You're uh, far too kind. Far too kind. 
But um, yeah, man, it's always a pleasure to to come back on. This is um, ugh, the, such a great time to be doing a show like this. <laughs> and um, I say that because I know you and I have had this discussion many a time about how um, everything you ever needed to know about a about a country and what it's going through and its politics and its policies. All you have to do to find out is just watch their football team play. <laughs> Well said. Uh, very quickly, uh, before we move on, what's the vibe like there in D.C.? Uh, you know, it's been a bit split because this is a place that has a lot, of, um, a lot of really smart, sensible Republicans. Um, so I think there, there was definitely that sense of shock. I had a lot of friends who were showing up to work or you know, just coming over to the house the day afterwards to like – have some comfort food and they were just in tears and I guess much like the two of you couldn't they kept asking me like how are people just going to the grocery store and like buying groceries like you normally do on a normal day how are you not like hiding in your house preparing for you know for the end and I don't know um that I guess that initial wave of shock very quickly gave way to this sense of like we're gonna fight you know we're not we're not rolling over this is the united states the mechanisms are in place for for people to um uh you know to to fight back and i think the perfect example that you can look at is like barack obama when when he first came into office there were so many expectations of just tremendous change and and look what happened you know Right. So, so I think people kind of calm down a little bit and they're like, all right, let's, right. let's take a step and back and, and, and re-look at this before we, before we start to panic and, um, you know, take to the hills. And that's really what we need to do is, is take a step back and really, really look at this uh, uh, with a clear head. I think two things. One, uh, you called it. Um, I think something you and the professor share in common is uh, I tend to be very guttural in my in my in my uh, in my predictions for anything related to the spectacle. I think you and and the professor have a much more uh, much much more calmer approach to making these observations and predictions. But you, you I got to say, you did call it. You did say it was going to go the way it went, and we'll talk we'll talk about that later. But my favorite thing that you said, the thing that put me most at ease uh, after that conversation we had after uh, November eighth was that you said. This is it. You said, it. You said, okay, fine. I have this feeling of relief now. He says, because now I can say, okay, fine, fine. You guys want to drive the car? Here, you guys drive the fucking car. See how fucking hard it is. See, 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 see if you think it's that easy. So here, go ahead, fine. Here's America. Let's see what you do. Is that how you said it, more or less? Yeah, pretty much. And, All right. And it, I, I think a lot of people also have that, that sort of sense of relief where um, – me personally, for example, I, I do feel like I was invested in, in Barack Obama's policies and a lot of the stuff that he was doing. So I, I found myself not standing up for what he was trying to do, but to, to sort of get people on the same page with what he was trying to do. I felt vested. Whereas now I'm kind of like, oh, you want to go the crazy way? Okay. <laughs> Have a good time. See how that works out. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that, yeah. that, that that really put me at ease because then it then it made me realize okay, 
Um, now we got to get to work, literally roll up our sleeves. To- today, we're going to talk about, of course, we've already kind of said it, the election of Donald Trump and everything that has transpired in between Tuesday, November 8th and Friday, November 11th to to, to, to this particular panel, uh, what occurred yesterday in Columbus, Ohio, the soccer game between the U.S. national team and El Tricolor is, uh, is, is, is laced with metaphor and, and, um, and let's just say laced with metaphor uh, and commentary uh, that relates to what just occurred this week. I'm, I'm going to say something that... that uh, that I think is very important to mention for you who are hurt, or for for you listeners that are maybe annoyed that we're talking about politics again on a supposedly sports spectating spectacle uh, podcast. I want to stress that uh, we're we're really not stretching the the definition of what qualifies as a sports spectating spectacle. Politics is now a full on sport. It always has been, and it, you know it reads, it feels, it talks like a like a sport. And, and and this presidential election has made it blatantly so. You know, if ESPN can stretch the definition of and the boundaries of what qualifies as a sport, I mean, come on, poker, an ultimate frisbee for fuck's sake. Uh, so too will the grandstand. So let's just say it: politics is now part of the sports spectating spectacle, and uh, we're not going back on that. Professor, give us Blood a little sport. context. Blood sport. Thank you, professor. Give us a little context, professor. Um, well, shoot. I mean, there's so many ways we could, we could, uh, go about this conversation. So I guess we should mention right now, um, all three of us being, uh, green team fans, um, all three of us being what we would going back to that, that episode, um, you know, bicultural, uh, by, by, by national, at least growing up in a, in a, you know, in border, right? Dan, you grew up in El Paso. Yeah, man. So, my family is to Juarez and El Paso. What your family is to TJ in San Diego. Right. So, I mean, so that, and it's you know that. Just, just to put that out there to to give context to to this discussion, um, and we both and, and all three of us share this. Um, you know, we are American, um, and as perhaps irrational as it may be. We uh, root against Team USA with a passion. So with that, um, uh, you know, Bradley said going into this game, uh, that, Bradley, the, the the team player for the, uh, the 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 captain for the U.S. national team, right? He 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 uh, felt that this game was you know this game isn't political. It's just a game, and and you know what's going on in the country as far as the election, and uh, you know we, we let's leave let's check that at the door. Um, uh, as opposed to say Rafa Marquez, the captain of the Mexican team, dedicating the game to, um, I guess I suppose those for for all those who who fi- find themselves in intolerant times. Is that right? Is that kind of what he? Right. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about this game, I, I don't think we can do it without thinking about the huge elephant in the room. Um, and 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 as far as this election goes, I think. You know, one way that I that I felt was, you know, it was kind of a slap in the face and a reminder of of the bubbles that many of us exist in, um, and and it was also one of those heavy moments that that while some, you know, for some has made them feel anger and resentment. You know, all those people talking about like I'm I'm leaving this country uh, after Trump won. 
Um, for others, my, myself being one of them, um, I think it, it, it actually it further fused our identity as Americans. Um, you know, after after this happened, my concern was and is more of, OK, so what can we learn from this and what do we need to do to to grow from this and continue to be a, a great country? Um, the reality is we are we're a divided nation and, and not just politically, you know, ideologically, but in, and, and in two different two camps, but rather. You know, it gets it's a lot more complex than that. We're, you know, racially, educationally, social class, etc. I mean, we, we there are so many uh, divisions, and so so this game was interesting because normally I think a sporting event like this involving a national team, it's the perfect medicine to bring people together. Um, Which is how they were selling it. The, on the U.S. side, did you get a feeling that that's kind of like, hey, it, it, the word unity came up a yes, lot, right? Right. And even wasn't the, the feeling for me. Wasn't the feeling for me. Was uh, it? Oh, what about you? Okay. Right. And so that's. I mean, and then even the players before the game, having that, you know, showing solidarity and and you know that taking that picture together. Um, but I think being, you know, being the unique and diverse and and nuanced culture that that this is that we're in. I mean. And the unique relationship soccer has in American society um, and the unique relationship that Mexicans have like like us have with 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 our American identity. Um, you know, the, the, the whole like ni de aquí, ni de allá type, you mm -hmm. know, the, uh, here or nor there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this game arguably kind of exemplified further exemplified how we are divided um that game was one of those bubbles that that we get caught up in that i mentioned earlier because when we play team usa and and i've said this before and i'll say it again we're, we're not i don't see it as playing a national team we're playing u.s american soccer fans and and u.s american soccer fans are a particular demographic i think and maybe maybe i'm over uh over generalizing that the the american soccer fan um, but I mean, uh, one time, I think you, Mario said that you had mentioned, you, you observed that you made the observation that this, this is the first major sporting event since, since the election. Yeah. Um, um have they, has the U S played any, in anything else? Has I, there been any other major? Well, th that's the thing, right? Like, so when, when I, when I heard that, I thought, whoa, yeah, that's, that's true. I, I hadn't thought of that. For us, it was the first major sporting event since the election, but I but I don't know if it was for for the for the average American. It wasn't like, um, and and immediately after that, I texted a friend who who I think is a good rep, he representation. You know, he represents the the American sports fan, and I asked him um, his thoughts on that, and he said, "No, this is definitely not a major sporting event." He said, I didn't even know. He said, I, I watch. He goes, and he's a, big, he's a big sports fan. And he even, he said, I follow soccer. Like, I, I'm in touch with the soccer culture. He goes, uh, I can tell you, like, no one's, ta no one, no one's talking about it. Like, I, I, I forgot even that, that the game was tonight. They do uh, know it's a World Cup qualifier, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and Against even, your biggest rival. See, for us, we see it that way. Um, and, and, he, and so he said, and I said, so maybe the biggest sporting event since the election. He goes, nah. I'll, we'll be curious. He's let's let's see if if this game gets higher ratings. He suspects that it won't even get higher ratings than than Browns versus Ravens Thursday night football did on on Thursday. Yeah, and uh, and I guess that's what I meant. Like I also thought like, well, Thursday night football happened, but like pff, Browns Ravens. Like, <laughs> right. But see, but that's kind of like that. So 
so I, I mean, we're playing against a, a niche, a niche fan base, I think. And, and thank God for them. Thank God for, for, for U.S. soccer fans. But that's kind of the irony. I think we're, we're playing against the people, at least the way I kind of was thinking about it, was we're playing against the people who are in our everyday, bu- that bubble, you know, that bubble that maybe that, that this election kind of, for, for some of us, was like, whoa, yeah, uh, we are in this, uh, you know, heavily liberal, these, these bubbles that we, that we exist in. Um, and so... You know, I would be fascinated to know the political affiliations of, of the USA fans in attendance last night at the game. One time. Sorry. Are we really that divided? Are we really that polarized in our political views and leanings? I mean, I kept see. I, I was talking shit about Nate Silver, but I love to, to read what, uh, what is the name of their, their three, five, three, eight, five, three, eight. Three, yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, what, what do you call that? What, what would you call that, uh, that, that five, three, eight? Well, how would you describe it? It's like a statistician's website. You know, they okay. they do they do stats for a lot of um, is, like pre- predictive stuff. Right? Is is the country a that re- that divided? Is it really that that polarized? Well, I'll I'll give you the same test that I just gave Manny a, uh, a few minutes ago. How many Trump supporters do you know? Like like open Trump supporters no. or or people that I know that's like I heard through no, hearsay no. and from like straight up hey personally talk I to proudly support Donald Trump proudly uh, espouse his policies yeah and let's bear in mind so Manny's in New York you're in San Diego and I'm in DC and I I am arguably in the most conser- in the more of the conservative of those three would you say yeah mm-hmm. yeah no I don't know any. I know. I think Manny, you said you knew one. I know one. Yeah. Um, oh, two, two. But I mean, knowing like like I they're in they're in in, in one of my circles that I run in work uh, social circles or or knowing like I saw one once. Like, but do, like you, I, do you see my point? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then likewise in many of the places where uh, where Donald Trump does have a lot of support, uh, if you say Hillary Clinton's name, like you're liable to get lynched. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty split right now. And, and it's not just in terms of, um, I, I don't want to say that it, it's, that we're split in what we want to achieve, but I think we're very split in what we're looking at, how we're looking at it and how we interpret what we're looking at. Um, and, and that's where I think we're, we're having this disconnect where the, Oh, but you know Donald Trump is so crazy. Like the the choice is so obvious. Yeah, the choice is so obvious if you're looking at him from a certain perspective. Um, if you're if you're looking at it at, a, at a different perspective, then all of a sudden the, you know, the the reverse becomes true. When you look at Hillary Clinton, you think like, oh, she's such a crook. She's such a liar. She's the establishment. Um, and unfortunately, I think uh, in this particular case, substance was trumped. By um, by a lot of showmanship, um, so and a lot time, of frustration. A lot of frustration. One time, I don't know if you have those stats uh, readily available, but you were reading some pretty interesting statistics to me last night. Do you have those? Can you share some of I, those? Yeah, I do. Uh, so one of the first statistics that came up that kind of um, I I think uh, puts this whole thing into uh, or, or gives some insight. Um, especially right now in the moment that you see all these um, protests breaking out across the country. 
um, there is a, uh, a statistics firm in Switzerland that came out with this. Uh, total votes for presidential candidates over the last three elections. So uh, that's 2008, 2012, and 2016. The Democrat or the, the Republican candidates in 2008 got 60 million votes, 2012 about 61, and then this time around they got like 59. In 2008, the Democrats got almost 70 million votes. In 2012, it was down to 66, and this time they barely broke over 58, which means they just like Democrats weren't voting. Like, or, or those votes just went, they went somewhere. Um, but they, they just weren't there. So I, and the Republicans were pretty consistent across the board. So I think one conclusion that we can kind of draw is Donald Trump managed to get Republicans, the standard everyday usual Republicans to, to come home as usual. And Hillary Clinton just bombed for whatever reason, whether it was Bernie Sanders or the emails or the fact that she just cannot, like, again, she couldn't get a Raiders crowd going. Um, it's, it's, they're pretty stark. Um, there's pretty stark evidence of, um, of what happened. Hey, you gave me some other really fascinating statistic on, uh, uh, on, on, the, on the woman vote. Do you, do you uh, have that one? Yeah, also, um, 52% of white women voted for um, for Donald Trump 64 percent or 68 percent of black women voted for Hillary Clinton but there was still uh, like somewhere around 20 percent of black women voted for um, for Donald Trump um, I think Hispanic women it was it was significantly lower but they were still there um, I, it was almost like uh, people were voting across normal Republican lines um, and, and then the millennial vote, too, was really interesting. Um, the, I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find the, the specific statistic, but everyone, all the, all the numbers that have come out said that the 18 to 25 group was just woefully low. Um, I heard something uh, it was less than 20%, um, but I, I couldn't find where, where, um, where that came up from. But everyone, all the numbers that have come out have at least said that, like, yeah, the 18 to 25 and even the 18 to 35 group uh, didn't, really, didn't really show up. So considering that only half of the country voted in the first place, like, that just, it tells you a lot. You think that's going to change? Um, you think this is enough to get, I would, I would hope that this would be enough to motivate people, regardless of, of which side you're voting for. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making an argument for, for my politics. I'm saying just in general, will more people come out to vote next time? Well, you know, I, I, I'm seeing more and more. I'm talking to millennials. Are, yeah. are they going to come out? Well, that's are they going to the say, "Oh, she didn't interest me that much. She didn't have my attention." Um, you know, I was telling Manny. You know, well, let's see how much attention you're going to pay now, cabrones. Fucking well, but I, dime. I also don't think that millennials are necessarily a uniform group. That's like, true. Yeah. Good point. Good so, point. I mean, a, a lot. Of, uh, I know. You know, they've started showing up. How there's um, all these. Like really racist uh, postings on Facebook have started showing up, like kids in universities who are like wearing blackface, and you're like, "What is wrong with you guys?" But at the same time, like they are millennials too. I, I don't think Hillary Clinton had the lock on on the millennial vote, like like she thought. So 
She didn't um, rock. The boat. You know, well, not as not as much as everyone assumed. Um, you know, it's the same thing with like what I said about the uh, the Latino vote. Like everyone just assumed that all Latinos are going to vote the same way, and just because Donald Trump is talking shit about Mexicans, that doesn't necessarily mean that all Latinos are going to get offended by that. Right. So, well, Professor, I, I talk a lot of shit about uh, statistics, and I just talked a lot of shit about Nate Silver and Five Three Eight. Um, but the statistics, they don't, they don't, they don't lie in a way, but at the same time, do, do they really tell the whole story of what happened or is there something else going on here, professor? Well, I, I mean, I know, um, Kellyanne Conway, uh, Trump's, um, campaign manager who was just getting pummeled day after day. I mean, would you guys follow? Oh yeah. You know, you know, like. Day after day after day, just getting going, going from from uh, from interview to interview, and just getting beat down by by Jake Tapper and and Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon and you know, and now she's coming out saying, "Told you, I told you guys." <laughs> Try and and her whole thing was, you can, you can follow those numbers, those statistics, all you want, but. Um, you know, this is you have this obsession with putting people into these boxes of educated, non-educated, yep. what, but, but she goes, what I kept telling you guys was we are actually out there and I'm looking at people face to face. I'm talking to people. I'm talking to people. And this could be she's still politicking, right? I mean, she's right. still but 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 you can look at it from that perspective of her saying, look, when I kept saying every every day that I'd come on here and tell you guys um I'm talking to people whose health, who are blaming their health insurance uh, premiums skyrocketing because of Obamacare. You know, they maybe they voted for Obama, and and, I, and and I'm talking to millions of them who who are telling us, you know, they're angry, they're they're frustrated. Those those are the folks who who the all these uh, pollsters just weren't you know weren't picking weren't picking up and. Um, so yes, of course, the statistics don't tell the whole. They, they they can't tell the whole story. Do we do we want them to tell the story because they give us the semblance of of of, of something, of uh, what am I looking for? Like uh, gives order to this to this chaotic reality, or is it some is it something as deep as that, or is it just simply that we've just become so accustomed to statistics and numbers, especially in this information age? Uh, yeah. uh, one time, give it. What, Wait, what, do, you, what do you want? The, the United States is one of the most like statistic obsessed cultures I've ever seen, and the perfect place to see that is American football. Yeah. Look me. at fantasy football. Fantasy football is just nothing but stats. It's people that sit around and crunch numbers all day for fun to try and figure out, like, oh, who's going to win? Like, how's this going to play out? How's the weather going to move this way? And, like, if the sun comes up at this one angle, it's going to be, like, coming in on the field in this way. Is it going to get in the eyes of the wide receiver when he's looking at the ball? Like, Americans, and you, you see it in that sport in particular, love to constantly have percentages and, um, like, uh, patterns expressed to them. And I think that's also part of the reason why um, Americans are great at announcing American football, but when you see them announce uh, like a football match, a soccer a match, soccer match. Uh -huh. it's just, oh man, it's so dry. And you're like, where's the passion? Like, where's the where's the excitement here? Like, they just want to talk about, you know, oh, the American, you know, the, the national team is, has run 
you know, an average of 16 <laughs> of six kilometers in, during this match. And each one is, you know, sweating this much water and they kick the ball this much. Like, oh, dude, I don't know this. I love I, I love um I love listening to the interactions between so say for example with um in Padre baseball you have you have the old guard and guys like Randy uh, Randy Jones um, talking to a, a millennial uh, a millennial who's very sabermetrics driven in how how he watches the game and and you've got this old school guy going like eh. Like those numbers, whatever, man. Like it's it's from their view, it's 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 more of a feeling, you know. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that pitcher is gonna do well because you can just feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, forget all those, all that number stuff, you know. And you know, the, there's there's some truth, you know. There's the truth is somewhere in between. Yeah, I mean, statistics, the the, the numbers. There are some numbers that count. The score at the end of the game counts. Hmm. You know, how, how many, uh, the percentage of like your attempts versus like scoring, uh, like certain things like that. Okay. But you know, statistics, statistic lie, you, you can take any statistic and twist it around in a certain way that, um, may or may not, it'll just tell the story that you want to tell. And, and we certainly saw that during this election where, um, how many major news uh, networks are there in the United States? Four: CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and MSN. Yeah. Or, or, or like well, yeah, you have the big four. Yeah. Sure. Of those four, three of them were so convinced that nobody would vote for somebody who insulted uh, veterans, who said terrible things about Mexicans, who grabbed women by the pussy, who like did all these terrible things. That for one, like, they stopped looking at. Um, you know, the the fact that maybe some people can look past that and, and that there are other issues more important to certain groups of people than all of that, um, you know, nonsense. And likewise, you know, look at what happened during the primaries. Hillary Clinton disenfranchised like half of her voters just right off the bat with Bernie Sanders. And that was ugly. It cost her in the end, too. And I think a lot of the I think a lot of the Bernie supporters said, "Okay, fine, we're not going to vote for Trump, but we're also not going to vote for you." And and it, it cost her. See the vegetable man in the vegetable van with the horn that's honking like a mariachi band in the middle of the street. People gather around, put the dollar, dollar, dollar in the can. I wait, Kayonda. J cowboys hang around Sleeping in the sidewalk with a Burger King crown Never wake them up Massive to the rooster crows Vatos vergallos on cheap guitars abuelitas with plastic bags walking to the church with the Spanish candles Billy Baracho says que putas andale hoto your popsicles melting run better run the do run run mata sabachuta in the midnight sun where where you going Talk about it's the replays. Mango yeah. ladies, vendedoras at a bus stop, sing a band of macho chorus. <laughs> wow.
So let's bring it back to this to this soccer game that occurred uh, last night. <clears throat> uh, we already mentioned that some of those 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 uh, those supporters that uh, going back to statistics. Um, what, what do we say? What do we say the age the age uh, bracket would be for uh, Team USA uh, soccer fans, uh, Professor? Just just off the th if we had to like just say give a number. I mean, eighteen I it's, to thirty five. Millennials. Eighteen to thirty five millennials. Eighteen yeah. to thirty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they all they're all mostly college educated. Yes. Uh yeah. And they're all mostly white to closer to white. Yes. Mostly yeah. And um and they, and, and and anything else we can add to that? No, I think that's I think that is kind of the general. Uh, the, the the general impression that we have, um, and then if we want to if we want to look at at specifically who was in Columbus uh, last night, um, you know Trump maybe won Ohio, but but uh, Hillary did win Franklin County where Columbus is. So that's fascinating because why does why does Team USA play their home games against only Mexico? They play they play in Columbus, Ohio. Why is the reason? What is the reason for that? You you'll you won't get as much Mexican fans taking over the stadium, because typically anywhere else that Mexico plays, if they play anywhere, uh, any major city in the United States, typically they 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 can be outnumbered by the Mexican fans. Correct? Uh, yes, and, and yes. are regularly now. Usually, yes, yeah, yes, usually, typically. Uh, so they play in Columbus because um, that's funny that you give me that statistic because I th I thought it was like. Uh, I thought those numbers weren't going to be that way, but of course that does make sense because it is a, it is one of the bigger cities, a major city of that state that that went red this time. But would you say that the people who have that certain, the, the fans of Team USA, even though they support and and they're 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 a part of that experience, the same fans that say it's not political, uh, this is more about a game and about you know and and you know some are arguing that this 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 the sporting event can create unity, which I agree with, and and maybe we'll expand on that a little bit later. But so those same people that 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 follow and at the same time have this. Maybe I don't want to use the word apathetic because maybe that's too harsh, but that have kind of like this, this lackadaisical, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, tomorrow we play and, and let's, let's give it a good old college try. And, and if we lose, then too bad, old chap, we'll get him next time. And for us, that's, I mean, to me, that's just fucking infuriates me, right? Um, um, and, and, and are those the same people that, 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 that kind of, was that same kind of lackadaisical approach reflected in, in the way they maybe they they, they voted or didn't vote. One Ooh, time, I see where you're going with this. Okay, one time. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe so in the sense that um, you know, and, and this is I'm going to tie it back to something else that we were talking about earlier. What does the national football team mean to the United States, and what does the Mexican team mean to? Um, to not just Mexicans, but Mexicans in the United States. And I was making the comparison earlier to, um, like, I get that Mexico's not this good, um, but he, the Mexican national team is our Muhammad Ali. Like, for all those Mexicans that can't influence or can't change politics or the things that are going on out there and that are um, maybe feeling, like, extremely vulnerable when it comes to football, I think Mexicans see a leveling out of the playing field where all of a sudden it's like, all right, dude, 
you're America, you're the United States, you're gigantic, I can't take you on, not by myself, I'm just this one guy. And, or we're just little Mexico, and for lots of reasons that we don't need to get into here, you know, Mexico cannot fight the United States. But when we get on the pitch, it gives us a platform to express our excellence, our prowess. Uh, it's a way for us to show off, like, yeah, man, we can get in the ring and fight back. Um, whereas I think for the Americans, it's like, a lot more people tend to just sort of be um, ambivalent about it still, maybe because it's not the strongest sport, uh, maybe because up to now the United States has predominantly cheered for U- you know, U.S. sports, so baseball, basketball, U- uh, American football. Um, so they don't necessarily have like a, uh, as much of a vested interest as we do. And I think a lot of Democrats in this, um, or a lot of Americans in general, in this election felt like they just didn't have a dog in the fight. So they were like, eh, <clears throat> the lines are long. I'm not going to show up. But that being said, what happened when the United States played against Belgium in the last World Cup? What happened when the United States started showing up in the, um, in the Copa America? Like, people rallied. It was cool. Like, there was definitely passion for the team. And I saw a lot of a lot of Americans come out and, and support. And so I think in that sense, our rivalry is really special. Uh, and I want to, I want to keep, I want to keep the rivalry, but let's also remember it's a friendly rivalry. Like who, who does Mexico have in, in the Americas that we can look to as a rival? Like we're not going to hang with Argentina and, and Brazil. Hell, I don't even think we can hang with Chile anymore. I still see them as rivals though. Um, I, I see us as wanting to compete with them, but I don't necessarily, it's not like when we play the U S when we play the U S it's like between brothers. And likewise, I think the U S looks at Mexico as sort of the, their validation point. Like if we can hang with Mexico, you know, Mexico has stature in world football. So now we're, we can hang with that. Um, but it's not, they don't pick up on it until it hits the big stage. One time, I have a question uh, with back to this idea of the national team. And uh, one of our listeners mentioned that the U.S. men's national team is not is, – is the national team. It's the team of all of us that live here in this nation. It's not an ethnic team like, say, the Mexican team is. A professor has called it uh, – it's, it's a cultural relation to it. Uh, but he he describes it as as it's not an ethnic team, which is why we as uh, children of immigrants, uh, you know, should root for even though we root for Mexico, we should still root for the USA. How do you make those distinctions? So, you know, I've talked about this as well. We. I at least recognized that I was made in Mexico and, and raised in the United States, but the Mexican national team for me was a family tradition. Like my grandmother, my father, my uncles, my cousins, we all got together to watch the national football team. And, you know, for those of us that had come over to the United States because soccer football was, um, was still a very like Mexican thing. That was one way for us to, to still have a connection to our, um, to our culture. And I think at least us, we were still close enough to our Mexican roots that, you know, we, we cheered for Mexico and we went through some really difficult times uh, in our the development of our rivalry in the 90s. Like, 
I don't cheer for the U.S. My cousin, like, you know, my or my nephew, I get it. He's far enough removed away where I'm sure he's going to cheer for the U.S., and that's fine. Um, but my team is at three, and I stand by it, dude. That, that's how we were raised. And, and maybe we're the last generation that's going to feel that way. Possibly. Um, but likewise, I don't want the U.S. team, like, I don't wish them harm. I still want to be able to have this fixture. You know, every time you look at the Mexico, uh, at the Mexico um, fixtures, you're like, all right, what are the, like, really big games? Boom, USA. That's the big one. Circle it on the calendar. We're watching that one. Right. Of course. You don't want that to go away. Um, so it's political, but it's not, there's no malice there. Professor? Oh, I, I agree with that 100%. That's exactly, I mean, um, uh, I, I would co-sign that. Um, but but I do want to look at, so this idea of of the, you know, the, the, the U.S. fan being more, taking a more apathetic approach, um, maybe a different way of looking at it is, 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 you know, when you listen to that 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 crowd last night, they they were into it. You know, the the the, the passion is there. Well, I, last yeah. night was special, um, right? So you know, and, and you could see it in the players as well. Um, they looked just awful for one. Uh, Michael Bradley looked like he hadn't slept in days. All of them were just playing on pure passion and fury, like. You, it almost looked like they had just had some of the worst days and they just wanted to get on the field and and just, like, get it out of their system. And the crowd was the same. Mm-hmm. You could tell that they were like, damn it, like, I don't understand what the hell's going on, but we are going to <laughs> scream and shout until we make something positive happen. Uh, so in a way, I was almost kind of hoping for a, for a draw. Um, but, uh, by the way, can I just say that I love um, – what is it? Uh, who's the, the big fan club for the Americans? Um, the the outlaws? American Outlaws? Yeah. What's that chant? Like, I believe that we will win? Yeah. I like that. That was cool. I'd never heard that before. I could be wrong, but, but the, I've heard that that chant started at San Diego State amongst the San Diego State University fan base. Maybe that maybe that's not true, mm. but some somebody claimed that. Uh, I, I like that. Uh, Professor? But, well, see, I... I, I I think it's possible that, you know, to going back to this question of the, this connection between the the voter who went like, well, I don't have a dog in the fight, so, so whatever. Um, no, I th- I think when we are playing against Team USA, we are playing against a fan base, and and th- this is what what the point I was I was trying to make is. I think we're playing against uh, a, a fan base that doesn't represent America as a whole. It represents Blue America. Um, mm. and, 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 and the, and, and the, and blue America that, that, uh, did go out and vote blue America, the blue Americans that were crying after the election. So they were, so when, when we play it, the, the, the U S soccer fans that we know, um, they're passionate and they care a lot. I mean, they, they are emotionally invested. Um, and I think those are the same folks who were emotionally invested in, in Hillary Clinton winning. Um, maybe they 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 went third party, but but they're they but they were they did it. I think that for the most part, it, we 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 were playing against a fan base that was devastated from a Trump uh, presidency. Um, so so maybe yeah. so maybe it wasn't. We're we're, we're not looking at a, a an apathetic group, but what we're looking at is a group that 
what 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 that what Team USA lacks is it doesn't it it, it really doesn't that at least the fan base does not represent America as a whole. Uh, Great point. Going back to what 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 my buddy was saying of like <clears throat> nope, this is not a major American sporting event. This is a major event for Hispanics and for I mean this is not what he said, but this is what I took out of it was that's right. This is a major event for for our bubble for our hispanic mm. bubble and for our liberal bubble uh on the on on the on the team usa side mm-hmm. yeah, so maybe uh u.s national team if you're listening it'd behoove you to rally that uh white rural population <laughs> into your ranks that that's that's kind of what i went into this game feeling weird because of that um i kind of went into it thinking like do, do i really want my green team to kick my liberal comrades who I share a bubble with, uh, do I really want my green team to, to kick them while they're already down? Yes. <laughs> I, I said yes. Too. <laughs> I, I said kick them. And I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I went into the game feeling really weird about it. And it, as soon as kickoff happened, like my primitive tribalism came right back and I was like, kill them. <laughs> <laughs> um, did Before I move on to the next question, um, so, so did Trump, uh, and you guys can answer, you know, very quickly so we can move on to the next question. Uh, did Trump win this election because he was able to galvanize the white rural vote or because, uh, because the, the blue democratic, more left-leaning, uh, millennial demographic didn't show up? Unfortunately, the two are not mutually exclusive. Um, if you look at where Hillary Clinton won and where she lost, you you see very quickly that she won the urban centers, but she lost in all these little pockets all around like the rural areas. So, for example, um, Philadelphia, I think I, uh, I read that she got something like 200,000 fewer votes than uh, Barack Obama did in, um, in, yeah, in Philly. And... That number, if she had been able to pull that in, would have been enough to take her over in Pennsylvania. Wow. So, you know, it's... Professor? And I think, well, I think what was most, what's most fascinating, at least for me, what was most shocking was we expected, that's what we, we, that's what we anticipated. We anticipated rural America to come out for Trump. Um, but it, what we saw was it was more than just rural America. It was yeah. it was white white suburb, uh, suburban America also uh, white suburban America also in the end kind of what 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 one time said you know they came home to to their Repu- in the end they thought I think a lot of those suburban voters maybe thought you know what this guy is a clown and normally I would never vote for him but uh, can't can't have that blue lady uh, run this country <laughs> we can't have any more of this Democrat stuff right. Uh, this this makes me think of of something. Uh, there's this writer um, Richard Rodriguez. He's a uh, he, he writes he writes a lot on on race and identity and family. He's a he's a he's a Latino from uh, from California. He 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 talks about how he you know the I don't know how you guys organize your 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 books. I don't know if you guys keep books in your in your uh, living spaces, but. Um, he said something about the way we arrange, we arrange our books. These these old categories, these 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 strange paradigms that we have for arranging things. You know, we we arrange you know uh, 
authors let's just talk about uh we we arrange them by like maybe by sex by social movement by by philosophy by literature by uh, uh uh whatever however which way if you walk into a bookstore or into someone's library books are arranged in a in a very maybe specific way and it i find that really fascinating to to go into someone's home or to a bookstore and to see how books are arranged because you know Every writer that has ever written or said something, every human that has ever made a comment about something is really complex. And to organize their thoughts and ideas into one specific category uh, seems very, just seems seems unfair to this interaction between uh, the conversation that books can have. And, and, and I, I looked at my bookshelf and I thought after this election, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to reorganize my books, not in, the, in, in a different way now. You know, I'm going to have these seemingly opposing authors interact with each other on the bookcase so that I can, I can uh, tell a different story to myself. It's um, kind of what all this, 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 this bipartisan, ridiculous tomfoolery makes me think of, um, which is well, why – go ahead. If I could just interject, I mean I think we're about to see some, some really interesting partnerships uh, in that sense. I mean we, we've been passing that Glenn Beck op-ed piece out of the New York Times. Right. Um, where he sounds like not just a really sane person, but like a really insightful human being. Um, I, I went ahead and checked out his podcast just because I was so impressed by it. And yeah, he still says some stuff that I think is pretty ridiculous. Um, but it, on this point, um, I think he he makes a, a really interesting um, analogy for us. Would and and seeing that like him as as the opposition before. As the guy who used to be, you know, some someone who I just like viscerally had to oppose, um, having him come back and say, "Dude, don't make the same mistake that that we made in 2008. Don't just write it off and say, you know, those people are fucking crazy. They have no idea what they're doing, like like the Republicans did in Congress. You know, they battened down the hatches and just said, we're not, we're just not going to let Barack Obama do anything." Um, I, for one, <laughs> I hope that we can take all of us and not, not just Democrats, but Republicans as well, because Donald Trump is not a Republican, not at least not in the traditional sense. Um, we need to have a good long look at ourselves and, and figure out, you know, not just, um, you know, like some fundamentals about, you know, where we stand on things. Right. And, and this is also a great opportunity for us to stand up for what we actually believe in. Like if and, you see some really racist shit happening in the street, what are you going to do? Well, that's what I'm that's then that's what I was going to get to. Double and I want to move on to, to double down. I was going to get down to the, to the next question. Uh, you know, I, I think, yes, I think the time has come to roll up our sleeves and reach across the aisle and, 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 and let's see, let's give, let's give, let's give this, this, uh, this, this, this opportunity to the Republicans to, to see what it is that they have or, or to listen to the voice of, of the right because for so long and, and professor you passed that article around about the the media and how the media basically was so fucking lost and 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 in denial about the fact that the rest of the world doesn't think uh, 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 um, there are a lot of people who don't share the values of the liberal media as as as, as the article says um, but I agree. Uh, one time we have to we even though we we even though we say okay fine all right go ahead drive but we're going to be watching right 
We're yeah, going to we're going to rearrange the bookcase. We're going to rearrange our books so that this is that different ideas and opposing views can interact with each other to see what this new paradigm, this new reality looks like. But uh, uh, I say, you know, pay a lot of attention and and get to work. Uh, but what do I know? We talked about unity and of this game in Columbus creating unity. And I'm saying the grandstand is going to be your respite from the insanity of bipartisan polarized politics and of this new uh, brave new world that we are uh, 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 entering into. Do you guys think that the grandstand can provide that refuge, that respite from the absurdity of bipartisan uh, polarized uh, politics? Because there you can be uh, different co- – even though I, we can make an argument that the grandstand also divides. But, I mean, you can sit there with uh, different classes and different races. Is the grandstand a place for refuge and respite, Professor? Yeah, absolutely, I think. Um, and, and, and that's why I think last night's game is unique because of because, uh, soccer, because of soccer's relationship with, within, within this country. Um, but I think had last night been a major, um, had it, had the timing been in a way where, where right after such a polarizing event, um, in, in the election, if that were followed up the next Sunday by a Super Bowl or by a major, or or by a major world series, um, um, then that, that's American, right? Like that is that would in, in that situation, the grandstand would bring people together. But in general, a, a, the 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 grandstand of the sport, spectating spectacle, politics included, is a place where we can all uh, go sit on and, and observe and be together and pretend for a few hours uh, and and work through these differences. Uh, can the grandstand be a respite from that, uh, Dan? One time. Oh, I. I mean, it could be whatever we want it to be. Um, right. Last night we were talking about how, you know, when we when Mexico and USA plays, I don't feel my American citizenship. I feel my Mexican citizenship. And last night, what I really wanted, I just there was a piece of me that really hoped that the Mexicans would just like read out a letter to all the American fans in English and Spanish simultaneous, and just say, "Hey, we understand you guys are going through a really rough time right now." including like having a really rough time with us. We just want you to know that, you know, even though we've gone through some tough times as rivals, we, st- you know, we still like playing with you. This, this is still a game. Um, come on down here and like, let's just play some football and whatever's going on over there. At least we can all agree that we all like football and let's have a good game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and maybe, you know, sports, art, you know, movies, music, I think we're going to have a huge revival in a lot of these things where people have something to say right now. Um, this election, the the sudden change in tone, and, and it's not just the United States. This is a wave happening all over the world. Brexit, you know, Marie Le Pen is going to be running in France, apparently. Um, there's a threat that um, a fascist leader might end up in um, Italy again, or at least like significantly more uh, like right wing, more along the lines of Berlusconi, um, Hungary, Syria, Russia. Like, there's nationalism happening all over the place, and 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 I think human beings will respond in kind 
with um, with openness and understanding, and and it'll start with things like football, and and just kicking a ball around. And and do you think that the information age will will uh, will play its role like we hope it will, uh, different than it did say during uh, the, the the World War II and and the fascist wave of and the wave of fascism that kind of took over parts of Europe. Will oh, the internet course. will the internet play play the role that we hope it will be? It the, inter- will? The, the internet mirrors our own um, our, our own daily interactions. I mean, the the same types of posters that you used to see like plastered up on walls now you see them plastered on people's Twitter feeds. Um, you know, and the the danger though is that uh, certainly with with social media you can choose and filter the right. the types of, of information you get, and I I'm guilty of this. When I, if you look at my Twitter feed, you would wonder how in the hell is it even possible that anyone would even consider voting for Donald Trump? But right. I guarantee, like, if you go, like, go to Kansas and grab somebody's Twitter feed there and start looking through it, or go to you know one of the Rust Belt cities and have a look at somebody's Twitter feed there or their Facebook, and you would be like, how the hell could anyone vote for Hillary Clinton? You know, we we need to actively start reaching across the aisle. If the Republicans don't want to have the same gridlock that Barack Obama ran into, they're going to have to, you know, open up and have some dialogue. And if the Democrats don't want to become irrelevant, then they're they're going to have to open up too and do some soul searching. Professor, is there a risk in becoming too complacent if we spend too much time in the grandstand? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think there is. Um, if, if if not becoming too complacent, um, uh, becoming too distracted, you know, you can also we can also look at the grandstand as the kind of like the way Chomsky talks about is you know it's be, because because we're spending so much time on on in the grandstand, um, uh, maybe that's why we let this happen. You're right. Um, you know that that's another way way to look at it, um, but but I do. I do agree that um, you know it, it is time to collaborate and compromise and reach out to the other side. Uh, something that's a lot easier said than than done. Um, and I think just little things like just the fact that 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 one time passed around a a, a piece by Glenn Beck. Um, just <laughs> yeah. that, just being willing to read something authored by Glenn Beck, right? Is that's that in itself is one of those small steps in being willing in 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 breaking out of our 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 insistence on you know sticking to our to to our boxes you know um and being being willing to to hear the point of view of a of a glenn beck you know if it if you if 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 somebody passes me something written by michael savage you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Am, am I, uh mm-hmm. if we really if if we're really serious about being willing to listen to the other side Mm-hmm. then we need to be able to go okay well let's hear what what michael savage has to say um within within sports i th- i think i think what 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 one time is talking about as far as uh people coming uh, being able to recognize this this idea of uh yes we are rivals and we quote unquote hate each other but at the end of the day all we really want is to to play a good game um hopefully we can take that into politics as well and recognize like yeah of course politics is a competition uh but in the end what is the larger goal here right yeah right because well, the stakes are so much higher 
You don't mm. just, you know, maybe maybe if Mexico loses a, a World Cup game, the, their stock, their their stock market or their peso gets devalued a fraction of a percent. But you know, if you re if you elect the wrong person to one of the most powerful nations in the world, that can have profound implications. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying if, that we chose the wrong person. I'm just saying. I'm just if saying. I, if I may, um, I, I would like to offer some uh, solace through potential certainty um, to, to all your listeners. Um, from everyone I've been talking to and, and everything I've heard, so far I have heard three, let's say, narratives for what um, Donald Trump could, could be. Like the first is sort of like the Hitler narrative, you know, the, the total terrible monster genius who like he's got the White House, he's got Congress, now he's going to get the Supreme Court, and he is just going to create this regime of terror on anyone who is not a white male. Like, mm, <laughs> I, I mostly don't buy that narrative because I just don't think he's, he's smart that enough. interested. Well, not just not smart enough, but not interested enough. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Okay. Like, right. like I, I already heard that he doesn't Thank really you. want to live in the White House. He wants to keep living in Trump Tower. <laughs> Secret Service is like, what the hell's wrong with you, dude? No. Uh, the other two narratives, though, that I think are highly possible are, one is the the Loki narrative. Like, he's just a troublemaker. Like, he's not a Republican. Like, he he was a total wrench in the Republican um, framework in during the primaries. Mm-hmm. So, like, he co-opted them just because he came in under their banner. Like, it's almost like he just used them to get into the party, and then he took over. Um, I also think, like, you don't know what he's going to do. A lot of the stuff that he said was actually pretty liberal. Like, he already promised that he wasn't going to touch Medicaid, Medicare, or Social Security, which already puts him at odds with Paul Ryan, who wants to get rid of Social Security. Right. He's already backtracking on, you know, Obamacare. He's already backtracking on the Mexico wall. Like, we have no idea what he's going to do. He could, I think he's, you know, more, most likely he's just going to be trouble for everyone. And <laughs> we, we just need to figure out, like, which way he's going to go. <laughs> and then, of course, like, the most, the most hopeful but probably somewhat unlikely uh, scenario is the um, – uh, the Azdak role. Uh, Azdak was a, a character in a, a Bertolt Brecht play, and he's the like the idiot king, who everyone thinks he's a fool, and all the stuff that he says is just like absolutely ridiculous. And then at the end of the day, he ends up just spinning things in such a way that you realize he's actually quite insightful. Um, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Uh, I think Donald <laughs> Trump is just going to be like he's going to create so much chaos that there's opportunity. And I think if everyone just keeps their shit together, um, the United States could actually come out better. Right. Um, so, right. yeah, okay. Like the things seem really impossible right now, but um, you know, in particular with the racism stuff, uh, we have seen that a lot of people. Like suddenly, it seems like people are, are okay doing some pretty racist things. But, but in a way, race... we, can finally, we can finally say, okay, it really, the race was a big, huge part of this. Like, let's, now we can, like, it's no longer like, well, no, maybe, yes, you know, it's like, no, this is, this, this, this has a lot to do with race as well. Yes? Yeah. So, so now we can address it. Exactly. Um, and we can fight against it. So. Professor? I think it, I think it, I agree. I, I think it, it did show that. At the same time, you know, many of those who, Many of those uh, white people who voted for Trump voted for Obama. Um, 
Yep. Which then, which th- th- that's the you know, some say that shows that this really this isn't it maybe about race, but is it about racism? Um, uh, maybe that's a separate question. But um, I mean, I, I. But that's I, the way that in my in my going back to the social media feed, that's the way it comes across in my social. It's like we are, have just entered into the apocalypse, and it's going to be a racial war between whites and everybody. Yeah, but, dude, if that's, you, that's the way that that I think people on the left, the extreme left, are seeing it. Right, this is the end. But it's all all, all of my friends on the right, all they see is it's about jobs, jobs, jobs. Like right. Donald Trump promised that he was going to bring jobs back to the country, and that everyone's going back to work. And I like, in a way, that's that's cool, man. They're not asking for a handout. They're not asking for people to do stuff. It's just like I just want the opportunity to work again. And I, you know, I accept some responsibility on this because I have been involved in um, drafting of treaties and you know, seeing the way that the United States sometimes handles its its foreign policy and interacted a lot with the State Department on these things. And I got to tell you. No shit, the outreach is bad. Like, nobody wants to try and explain foreign trade or the TPP or NAFTA to the masses because it's hard and it's complicated and they just take it for granted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is complicated stuff, but it's going to make lives better for everyone. Yeah. Knowing that somebody was going to have to bear the brunt of that stuff, like somebody's got to get left behind. And no one bothered to explain that to the people who were getting left behind. And and I think it it came back to bite both Democrats and Republicans in the ass. Right. So, uh, Professor, anything else you want to add before a closing remark? And then anything else you guys might want to add after my closing remark? It'll be interesting to see and perhaps tragic to see and perhaps uh, not shocking to see that 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 major uh, working class vote that, that supported him. Um, we'll we'll come to see that three years from now, four years from now, um, they're still <laughs> struggling. Yeah. You know? Have you yeah. seen the like the list of Donald Trump's cabinet? God Jesus. His children were appointed to the nominating committee or to the <laughs> right. like the, Yeah. And like, holy shit. Like straight up nepotism. Um, so, so we we uh, we have a lot of work to do for all of my friends uh, on the left. Ironically, sometimes it's us on the left uh, with with our books and our uh, and our uh, uh, pour over coffees and 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 uh, expensive beers. We 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 can become as intolerant as those people that we complain about on the right intolerant of their way of life of the things that they're afraid of 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 the things that perhaps drove them or drove many people maybe not in the extreme right or or, or in the suburbs to continue to vote or come home to their party Um, we have a lot of work to do we have to uh, remain uh, vigilant and at the same time um Will will this uh, will this will this have an effect on 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 on, on sports? Uh, the, what what kind of things will the, a, a Trump presidency have on on the sports spectating spectacle? We'll sh- we surely will be talking about. And we know that uh, uh, the, the the people who who write comedy and satire they're going to have an awesome time. It's going to be good mm. times for that. And, and maybe for the spectating spectacle, it's going to be awesome. Awesome questions are going to come up. Um, but we, we, we need to get to work, cabrones. We need to get to work. So um, Leonard Cohen said, uh, uh, the, 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 the late Leonard Cohen uh, recently deceased, rest in peace. There's a crack in everything. 
that's how the light gets in. So don't you forget that. Anything else you guys want to uh, uh, say, gentlemen? Those are those are some nice cracks uh, that we found last night in those two goals. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and will the and will the the USA make the World Cup? <laughs> I haven't even looked at the tables. <laughs> We're out. Are you going to say something? Like no, no. We can just leave it on that. I'm say that's, how great could America be if you can't even make the World Cup? No! No! no. Some more.